We're going to look at this passage in John 18 and into chapter 19 as well, uh, under the heading today of evil government. Good government makes a tremendous difference to society. Government that is based on righteousness and goodness can help bring so much that is good into people's lives. But when the appointed leaders move away from righteousness and goodness, the consequences can be devastating. And this is not just true of your cases of the, the Hitlers, the Stalins, and the Putins. It is also true even if our own government, when they move from righteousness and goodness. We can see that in the death of so many innocent little babies in the womb. Jesus, after his arrest, appeared before Annas, who had been the previous high priest. He'd been deposed quite a number of years. And then, after being interviewed by Annas, he sent to Annas' son-in-law, Caiaphas, who is the, the current high priest. And because they want Jesus to receive the death penalty, they now hand him over to the Roman governor, who had the power to deliver this. Pilate initially is reluctant to get involved because he sees this as a dispute about religious matters, a dispute about Jewish beliefs, and he, wisely he didn't want to get caught in the middle of it. But wanting the death penalty, the Jewish authorities are persistent, and they pressurize Pilate to act. And sadly, in his actions we see evil government. But first of all, we see here the revealed king in verses 33 to 38. Now, Pilate gets straight to the point in verse 33. So, Pilate entered his headquarters again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Now, Jesus knows that this is an idea that Pilate didn't come up with himself, that something passed on to him. And Jesus then speaks about the different nature of his kingdom in verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. And what Jesus says here fits in with what he had previously spoken about, about the kingdom of heaven, which is his kingdom. It is in heaven where Jesus' kingdom is clearly revealed. His rule is clearly revealed. And it was never the goal of Jesus to sit upon a throne on this earth. Being born and placed as a baby among the animals at Bethlehem and not born into a palace, riding into Jerusalem as a servant on the back of a donkey rather than on a great white horse. Those things speak of the different nature of His kingship, the different nature of His kingdom. And although His kingdom would be in the world to come, Jesus' kingdom, though, begins here on earth. It begins in the lives of men and women, young people, who embrace Him as their King. That's the message of the kingdom parables that we read in the, the Gospels, particularly in Matthew 13, including the parable of the sower. Those who receive His Word, those who embrace His truth, are brought into His kingdom, belong to His kingdom, because they accept Him as their King. 
In Mark's gospel, Jesus' first words as he began his ministry were, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus' kingdom, it is extended as people repent, believe, and embrace him. Jesus spoke of how his kingdom was within. Christ's kingdom advances as people are born again. People who are rebellious against God, people who have no time for Christ, the Spirit of God works within their hearts and changes them so that they embrace Jesus with faith and repentance. And this means that while there will be earthly governments, such as the Roman government represented in this story by Pilate, at the same time, there is another king who rules, who is drawing in his volunteers. And Jesus isn't calling his people to rebellion, and he isn't calling his people to remove earthly rulers, but rather the marks of his kingdom are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And you can see that his kingdom is growing as those beautiful marks become more and more evident in people's lives who have embraced him. We belong here today to the United Kingdom, the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. The challenge is, though, do you belong to Christ's kingdom? Do you belong to this heavenly kingdom now? You'll only enter heaven and be in that heavenly kingdom for eternity if you belong to it, first of all, in this world? Does Jesus rule in your heart and in your life? Does Jesus govern your life by His Word? Are you following Him as King? He is not your Savior if He is not your King. Is He truly the Lord of your life? Is Jesus your King on a Sunday and how you spend the Sabbath day? Is Jesus your King on Monday to Friday in your school, in your place of work, as you meet with other people? Is He your King on a Saturday as you socialize with people and how you spend your spare time? Is He your King? Look there at verse 37 in John 18. says, Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Are you listening? Are you following? Are you obeying the voice of Jesus? day by day. It's only if you're following that voice through the Word that you belong to His kingdom. So, the revealed King we see, first of all. Secondly, we see the attempt to deliver. After speaking to Jesus privately, Pilate goes out to the Jews, and this is so ironic. The Jews will not come into the home of Pilate, into his palace, because he's a Gentile, and that would make them unclean, and they wouldn't be able to take the Passover. They want to fulfill their religious duties, while at the same time putting the Son of God to death. <laughs> They've got it all wrong. But Pilate goes out to the Jews and says, 
He says to them in verse 38, I find no guilt in him. I find no guilt in this Jesus. And Pilate knows that Jesus certainly does not deserve to be put to death. And Pilate wants to release him. And he's thinking about hard, he's thinking hard, how can I release Jesus? But at the same time, please this bunch of Jews who I need to help my government to run smoothly. So he thinks of a few ideas. His first plan is to use the annual Passover custom of the Romans releasing a prisoner as a sign of goodwill to the Jews. And so he's thinking if he can get the Jewish people to agree to Jesus being released, there's nothing their leaders can say about it. So he says to the people, I'll release Jesus, and then the leaders, there's nothing that they can do. But the plan is thwarted as the people are stirred up by the leaders to instead call for the release of a particularly wicked character called Barabbas. He was a notorious prisoner. He had been involved in rebellion against the Romans, even involved in murder. And it is shocking that the people here vote for such an evil man as Barabbas instead of this perfectly loving, gracious, kind man who is Jesus. And yet, how often do people today choose the devil and his voice to listen to rather than Jesus. Pilate, that first attempt to release Jesus doesn't work. His second attempt, the second attempt of Pilate to get Jesus released is to have Jesus flogged with a whip and then mocked with a crown of thorns and a purple robe placed on him in chapter 19 in the first few verses. And Pilate hopes that he, as he brings Jesus out in this mocked and tortured state and says, behold the man, that will be enough for the Jewish leaders to be satisfied. And the people think that's enough. But look at the response after he does this in verse 6, after he has Jesus treated in this way. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him for I find no guilt in him. You see, Pilate's problem here, he wants to do the right thing by Jesus, but at the same time, please the Jewish leaders. And what he's discovering, it's not always possible to do those two things at the same time. It's not always possible to honor Christ and at the same time keep the enemies of Christ happy. You take the situation in some of the countries at the moment who, in the UN who are refusing to, to vote against Russia because they realize what Russia is doing wrong and they want to support Ukraine, but they are reliant on Russia for so much. They're trying, as we would say, to ride two ponies. And this is what Pilate is trying to do. He's trying to ride the pony and saying, I'll do what is right by Jesus. He wants to do that, but he's realizing he can't do that and at the same time keep the Jews happy. And we all need to be clear about this important truth. You can't always do what is right by Jesus and at the same time always keep the unsaved people and sometimes even Christians happy. You can't always please Jesus and please people. Now, 
we need to get that into our heads. And if we embrace Jesus as our King and we're going to follow Jesus as our King, there are times we're going to disappoint people. There are times we're going to annoy people and maybe even hurt people if we do what is right for Jesus. There's times it will impact others. Take the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Joseph, as a young man, sold as a slave into Egypt. He works for this man, Potiphar. He's so faithful to Potiphar, and then Potiphar's wife wants to commit sin with him and take him to her bed. Do you remember what Joseph said? How can I sin against God in this way? And Joseph knew he couldn't please God and please this woman. And so she's disappointed. He runs out, and he suffers for it because she tells lies against him. Or take the example of the apostles in Acts 5 when they're arrested and told to stop speaking about Jesus. What was the response of, from Peter and the others? We must obey God rather than men. I think of a, a young lady I knew a number of years ago was at a, an Easter service. Uh, I was in Wellington Street at the time, and after one night I was preaching, uh, I spoke to her afterwards, and she came to profess faith in Christ. I remember particularly it was a sermon I preached, I think it was actually Psalm 22, and I thought it was a terrible sermon, but God was working in her heart. She went home to her husband, who never came to church, and no time for church at all, and he says to her, well, I hope you'll not be talking all about Jesus now that you're a Christian. And she replied to him, if I'm going to be faithful to Jesus, I will speak about him. You can't always please Jesus and please people. You have to be ready for that if you're going to follow Jesus. I don't know if you ever watched the film Chocolat, a story of a wee village in France where a lady comes and starts a chocolate shop, a patisserie just before Lent or during Lent. There's a young priest in that, and uh, I think his name is Father Henry. And there's a man called Comte de Reno. Apologies for my French. Uh, Comte de Reno rules the place. He's a very important person. And this young priest, he decides to take him under his wing, and he says, now come round. He says, for your, your, your message for Sunday, and I will go over it with you. And he edits his sermon. He edits what he does. And this man has no conscience to do his own thing. He has to do what this man does. And there's always this voice speaking to us, saying, don't go the way Jesus wants you to go. Don't do what God wants you to do. I don't know if you remember how this story ends. In the middle of Lent, and this man come to Reno, he was so committed to, to Lent, but it ends up, he goes and gorges himself in chocolate in the chocolate patisserie one night, and he's found in the morning asleep in the window after stuffing himself with chocolate. He ends up in disgrace. Remember this. Those who would want to lead us away from obeying Jesus will end up in disgrace and judgment. But if we graciously stand for Jesus and do what is right, 
we can be used by God to see them becoming servants of Christ. It's by being different to people around us. It's by pleasing Jesus rather than people we will be effective witnesses. And we see here this failure in leadership from Pilate. He wanted to please man rather than God. And you know something? We have to pray for our politicians, particularly our Christian politicians, that they would want to please God rather than man. We need more leaders like that. So we've seen here the attempt to deliver. And then, thirdly, we see the limited fear from verses 7 to 16 in chapter 9. Look at verse 7 there. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he was made himself out to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. Now, Pilate knew that Jesus was someone special, but now the claim that he was the Son of God, the Jews said to Pilate, this man claims to be the Son of God, that absolutely terrified Pilate. And the reason why it terrified him was that in his short encounter, he knew that Jesus was an innocent man, and in his short encounter with Jesus, he realizes that this could be true. There's something about Jesus just shone out and spoke to him in such a powerful way. He realizes that he could well be dealing with God as he deals with Jesus. And he's absolutely in a terrible state of fear because of that. Pilate decides to go back and question Jesus some more in verse 9. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Now, why the silence? Jesus, who spoke to him freely up unto this, why does he now say, where are you from? And Jesus says nothing. Jesus is silent when people are not serious about discovering the truth. And remember what just had happened moments before this. Pilate showed that he wasn't serious about respecting Jesus and giving Jesus his rightful place when he had Jesus flogged which in itself could kill a person, and had him mocked and ridiculed in public with the crown of thorns and purple robe placed on him. And you cannot ridicule and reject Jesus and then expect Jesus to jump at your every wish. And yet how often people behave that way today. They have no time for Jesus. They use Jesus' name as a swear word, and yet if they get in difficulty of their own will, they want Jesus to come and to help them. Now, Pilate, he continues here to get Jesus to try and get him to answer him, basically with a threat here in verse 10. So, Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Now, Jesus isn't going to be flustered by this. Look what Jesus says in verse 11. Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it's been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Now, in that verse, there are two crucial truths. God's sovereign control and human responsibility come out side by side. First bit, you would have no authority over me at all unless 
it had been given you from above. Pilate is being told here, he is not the one ultimately in charge. There's a higher throne that rules over all other seats of power. And in speaking of this conspiracy against Jesus, Peter would later speak of how all that Pilate would do and the Jews would do would be according to the plan of God. And so when evil was seeking to do his worst, God was still working out his purposes through it. Now, Pilate would have a great sense of security, of power, of control, of authority as a Roman governor of all those soldiers at his back and call. He told people what to do, and they did it without questioning. They jumped at his every command. And now he's being told he doesn't rule ultimately, but there is a God who rules over all. And Pilate is only in this position of influence because of the goodness and will of God. And the implication is he could be taken out of this position in a moment. Look at the next part of the verse. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. And here Jesus is undoubtedly thinking about the Jews, and particularly Caiaphas, the high priest, who was responsible for sending him to Pilate. And while what was happening was part of God's plan for Jesus to die in order to save his people from their sin, that was God's plan from the Adam first er, sinned, Caiaphas would still be responsible for his actions for what he would freely choose to do. God's sovereign plan, his sovereign control rules over everything that happens, but it never takes away human responsibility. God never causes people to sin. People sin by their own choice and therefore are accountable to God for their sin, even though God rules over everything. Let me give you an example of this. There's a Scottish minister, theologian, Andy McGowan. He tells a story once talking to a a drunk man who he's trying to witness to, and his response to the drunk man was, Ach, Andrew, it's predestined. So his excuse for being a, a drunk man was that it's predestined that he would be a drunk man. In other words, he had no responsibility about it. Do you buy that? He is the one who chose to take alcohol. He's the one who chose to take that drink until it got a hold of him. If I went down to you and slapped you across the face and I said, oh, it was predestined, who would you blame, God or me? <laughs> it doesn't work. That's her defense. God causes no one to sin. God makes no one to sin. People sin because of their own sinful desires and are responsible for the decisions they make. And yet, amazingly, through their sinful desires and actions, God still works out His purposes. God's sovereign control and human responsibility. Look there at verse 11, what it says again. You would have no authority over me at all unless it's been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Divine control and human responsibility, as Spurgeon said, are like two tracks, two tracks of the train track that run side by side. 
equally true. Pilate is growing in his understanding here of the greatness of Jesus. Verse 12, from then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. This mention of Caesar absolutely terrifies Pilate and convinces him to hand Jesus over to be crucified. Pilate had a reverence. Pilate had a fear of Jesus. But the problem was his fear of the Jews, his fear of Caesar was more real to him at this time. Poor government, poor decisions that people make happen when people have a greater fear of man than a fear of God. And if we are going to be people who are going to follow Jesus, if we're going to be people who accept Him as our King, if we're going to be people who make the right decisions day by day, we have to fear God. We have to fear Jesus more than any person in this world. Now, how can this happen? How can we grow in a proper fear, a proper reverence and respect of God that is more real to us than any fear of people around us. Let me mention three quick things in finishing. The first way we grow in a fear of God is by entering God's presence. It's by spending time with God. You think of Moses at the burning bush in the presence of God. He learned to fear God. You think of Isaiah and Isaiah 6 coming into the temple he feared God by being in the presence of God. It's taking that time. The more time you spend in God's presence, the more that God will be real to you. And your fear, your respect, your reverence of Him will grow more and more. The second thing is seeing Christ's glory. Think of the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross who at the beginning mocked and ridiculed Jesus, but he was there, he was watching, he was listening to what Jesus was saying and what was going on. And then when the other thief continued to mock Jesus, he rebuked him and said, do you not fear God? It is by seeing the glory, the greatness of Christ. As we read of it, in the Scriptures. We learn to fear God. And thirdly, it is receiving God's Word. Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 14 about when God's Word is shared as His people come together, and if a non-believer comes in, that the secrets of their hearts would be laid bare, and they would fall down and cry, God is among you of the truth. It's God's Word entering not just people's ears, but right into their hearts that causes people to fear the living God. Isn't that maybe the greatest need within the church and within the world today? A proper fear of God. Pilate feared Jesus. And I think most people here this this morning are here partly because they fear God and fear Jesus. But Pilate's problem was he didn't fear Christ and God enough. 
Let me end with the words of John Bunyan. Fear God, you saints, and you will have nothing else to fear. It's when God, when Jesus becomes more real to us than the person sitting beside us or in front of us or the person we live with. It's when Jesus and God become more real to us as we spend time in His presence, as we gaze upon His glory, as we spend time in His Word and prayer, as He becomes more real to us. It's then we will make decisions that will please God rather than man.